Um, I want to share with you guys real fast. I want to plant a seed and give you a heads up. Not next Sunday. Next Sunday, of course, is Christmas Sunday. But the last Sunday of 2019 is going to be uh, the 29th, so two Sundays from now. And God put something on mine and Jerry's heart. And I just want to open it up to everyone in here. You can jump in it. You can not jump in it. It's totally up to you. But God put this on mine and Jerry's heart, and so I want to share it with you. And that is that at the Bridge of Faith, we want to be one of our core foundations is that we are a generous church. That we truly are a church that's going to live life with an open hand. And to say, you know what, what I want to invest in the most, because don't get me wrong, it is wise to make certain investments in life. It is. Um, but what we want to invest in the most is the kingdom of God. And so what got put in our heart, and really it came from a story, and uh, I can't remember who this guy was, but he graduated from uh, Louisiana State University, LSU. And uh, ever since he graduated from that college, the story was that he would donate, he's very wealthy now, and he would donate all this money back to the LSU football program. Every year, just tons and tons of money. And then finally, uh, one day, a friend of his started to talk to him and say, hey, you know what? I see that you donate all this money back to your school that you came from, and that's cool, you know. Um, but what has that school, like, given back to you recently? He said, how about, think about giving and investing into the kingdom of God, something that's going to have an impact not just, not just on your life, but on generations to come when you invest in the kingdom of God. And so in two Sundays from now, the last Sunday of 2019, I'm going to be speaking on a message about generous living. And as I'm speaking about generous living, we're going to hold off the offerings until the very end of service. And then what I'm going to ask for anyone that feels led to, again, don't feel obligated. Don't feel like I'm twisting your arm here because I'm not. But Jesus talked about money more than any other topic. You know that? He talked about money more than any other topic. And it's something that we like to shy away from in church, you know, because it's a touchy subject. But when we learn what money is all about and where it comes from in the word and how we should live generously, then we can now, you know, be wise with our money and have it not have control of us where we live with a closed hand, but we live with an open hand. And so what I'm asking for everyone here that wants to join in, in these next two weeks, the last couple weeks we have of 2019, if you would pray and ask God about a number. Is there a generous number that you want to give back to the church? And guess what? When you give back to the church, trust me, it's not all going in my pocket. All right? You can look at my car outside. I still live with parents and all that stuff, okay? It's not going in my pocket. But when you give to the church, guess what? We can improve the, 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 the kids' ministry. And as we improve the kids' ministry, guess what? Other young families that come in the church and they see a kids' ministry that has it going on, that has the resources to where they feel comfortable dropping their kids off, guess what? That's a church that they want to make home. And who knows what God's going to do through those kids? Who knows what God's going to do through those parents? And who knows what's going what's to happen generations to come because of an investment that we decided to make. And that's just one example. We can talk about media, about worship, about hospitality, about it all. When we choose to invest and then we can improve in these areas, the kingdom of God will grow. The kingdom of God will grow. And so I'll tell you right now, my wife and I, we already have our number in mind. And, and I promise you this, it doesn't make sense. 
It does not make sense. If you look at our bank account and the number that God put on both of our heart, it doesn't make sense at all. But one thing that I do know is that Scripture talks about, test me in this, God said, in your giving, in your generous living. He said, test me in this and see that I will not provide for your every need. And so we're going to go for it and see what God does. Now, again, I'm not twisting your arm, but I'm asking you to pray about it. Pray about what that is and see what God will do through it. But next Sunday is Christmas Sunday. So, hey, man, again, this is one of our two Super Bowls with the church, right? Christmas and Easter. So, again, if you have family members, if you got friends, neighbors, coworkers that you want to invite to where you know maybe they might not go to church, but Christmas Sunday they might go to church, start talking to them. Start talking to them, all right? And let's invite them. Let's, let's pack out this house Christmas Sunday. And who knows what God will do? Who knows? Someone that never stepped inside a church before, they might see something, hear something, experience something that just might change something in their hearts for eternity. And so who knows what might happen. So, again, let's gear up for Christmas Sunday. But today in Back Behind the Carols, um, Last week, we talked about the carol, What Child Is This? What Child Is This? And we learned how that carol was written from the perspective of shepherds. So when you picture the nativity scene, the shepherds that were there, that's what that carol was written from. And so we answer the question to, what child is this? From that perspective of the shepherds. And this is what we learned last week, just to catch you up. Number one, we learned that this child came for all people. He came for all people. That's what the angels told the shepherds. And since this child came for all people, we need to love all people, even the ones that are hard to love. We got to love them. We got to love them. And then the second thing was that this child is pleased with us and wants us to live with peace. And you see, God was pleased with, with us when we decided to say yes to him. When we, when we decide to make him the Lord and Savior of our life, that is when God was pleased with us. It wasn't when you said yes to Jesus and then you started going to Bible study and then you started, you know, uh, going to church more often and then reading the Bible. is when you said yes. What made God pleased with you? What makes, what, what makes God pleased with you is when you said yes, I want you to be the Lord and the Savior of my life. And because God is pleased with us, not based on merit, just based out of his sure love, guess what? We can now live with peace. We can now live with peace. And not just any peace, but the peace that Paul wrote about, the peace that surpasses all understanding. That's the peace that doesn't make any sense. That when your family, your coworkers, your friends look at your life and they say, man, your life is messed up. And guess what? But they say, though, but how do you still have peace, though? When you're dealing with this, how do you still have peace when you're going through this in life? And that's when, boom, you get to share the gospel with them. And then, and then you get to say, man, this is the peace that only comes from God. It's the peace that surpasses all understanding. And this is a child that when we encounter him, we should leave changed. We should leave never the same. We learned about how these shepherds last week most likely, maybe, never worshiped God before. Maybe never worshiped God before because there was only one place to worship back in those days, and that was the temple. 
And guess what? They, most of the time, were not allowed in the temple. One, because they're living with their sheep. And two, because they're living with their sheep, they were ceremonially unclean. So that means they weren't allowed to be in the temple. So maybe they never worshiped God before. But guess what? One encounter with baby Jesus, and it said that they loved praising and glorifying God for what they just saw. And so we talked about last week about how, man, you know what? Music shouldn't matter. The surrounding shouldn't matter. People around us shouldn't matter. When we see Jesus for who he truly is, for how much he loves us, for all that he has done for us, man, that should cause us to desire, to want to worship him. No matter where we are, no matter what we're doing, it should cause us to want to worship him. And the last thing we talked about last week about this child, um, again, uh, who is this child? We said that most importantly, this child was a lamb that was to be slain for you and me. We learned about how the shepherds in that area back there in uh, Bethlehem, they were the shepherds that took care of the flocks that were to be slaughtered at the temple. And so God used that as a symbol to say, hey, my son's going to be the spotless lamb, right, that's going to be slain for you and me. And so, again, that's what we got into last week. And before we get into today, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just love you so much, God. We're so thankful to be in your house. And we ask, Lord, that you would just have your way with your word. Have your way, God, to where you shape our heart. You shape our minds. Make it aligned with your word, with your truth. And let us just grow closer to you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Today, we are going to take quite a different twist on this whole Christmas series. We're going to talk about a topic that I haven't talked about yet, and it's a topic that is not usually mentioned during the Christmas season. So I'm excited to get into this because although this topic is not usually mentioned much in the Christmas season, um, I believe that it's a topic that probably should be talked about a whole lot more in general, but also especially in this Christmas season. And we're going to see why. So today's carol is God Rest, You Merry Gentlemen. God rest you, merry gentlemen. That's what we're going to look into today. This carol is one of the oldest ones. Again, uh, it's one of the oldest ones that we have. The oldest printed version of this carol goes back to 1760. So before, our, before we were ever a nation here in America, this carol was written. And in 1843, this carol was referred to in the famous novel by Charles Dickens, A Christmas Carol. If you're not aware, that's the famous story of Ebenezer Scrooge. And shout out to Darla for uh, telling me and Jerry about this movie called uh, The Man Who Invented Christmas. It came out a couple years ago. I'm not sure if you guys saw it, but I highly recommend it. It is a great movie. So if you want to sneak that in there before Christmas comes, I highly uh, encourage you to do so. It's, a, it's a, a pretty much true story about Charles Dickens and how he came to write that famous novel, uh, The Christmas Carol. And um, again, it's, it's a little heart-wrenching. It's not like this lighthearted, let's bring all the kids around and watch this movie. Man, it's, 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 it's uh, going to get you. It really is. But it's a great movie. Anyways, moving on. From this carol that we're going to talk about, all right, God rest you merry gentlemen. Uh, really, we're only going to look at the first stanza today. Because in this first stanza, we're going to find out what we are going to be talking about. So let's look at this together. It says... God rest you, merry gentlemen. Let nothing you dismay. 
For Jesus Christ, our Savior, was born upon this day to save poor souls from Satan's power, which long time had gone astray, which brings tidings of comfort and joy. Comfort and joy, right? You just want to go for it right there. Which brings uh, tidings of comfort and joy. So in this stanza, it tells us that, you know, we all know this, right? Hopefully we all know this if we're here today, that, that the reason we celebrate Christmas is not for the presents, it's not for all the Christmas parties, it's not for, you know, to celebrate Santa and, and, and all the songs and lights. Those are all great things, but it is what this, uh, um, what this carol talks about, saying, for Jesus Christ, our Savior, was born upon this day. And I believe that we all know that here. You know, and, and it's something that we try to teach our kids, right? Because, you know, as a kid, Christmas is every, ch- or every child's favorite holiday because presents, 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 presents. And so, of course, they all love it. And so what do we try to do? We rightly so. We try to convey the message to them to say Christmas is not about presents, right? You know, hashtag Remember the reason for the season and, and like all that stuff? That's all good stuff. We all know that the reason we celebrate Christmas is because of what we talked about last week, the lamb that was slain, right? So now we have to go into what is the reason of why the lamb was slain. We talked about that. We celebrated that last week. That's why we were, you know, why we celebrate Christmas But what I love about this carol is that it takes it a step further. This carol takes it a step further to say why Jesus had to die for our sins. And it's this verse right here from this carol. To save poor souls from Satan's power, which long time had gone astray. You see, this is not a a popular uh, subject to talk about on Christmas, to talk about the devil. Um, But it is something that needs to be said. It's something that needs to be said because I believe that during this season, we are dealing with uh, tensions. We're dealing with emotions. We're dealing with maybe memories. We're dealing with all these feelings that are just eating us up inside. They're just beating us down to the ground. And so we need to recognize what is happening here. Now, God is real. I believe that we all believe that. But something else that we all t- uh, 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 need to believe is that so is Satan, so is the devil. As much as God is real, the devil is also real. Now, I'm not going to go into a huge theological study today about the devil and where he came from and what he does and all this stuff. You know, um, during the summer times we have theology and coffee, and that's a great time because we have an hour and a half to, t- to two hours just to dive into that. And so, you know, that's a great time to uh, really learn about that. And I will be talking about this in the future as well to where we can really give it a whole series about who is the devil, where did he come from, what exactly does he do, and all that stuff. But today we need to know that Sin entered the world in the beginning. Sin entered the world in the beginning and it left this world broken and everyone who enters it broken. Right? And we know this from these two scriptures here. In Psalm 51 verse 5, uh, David writes this about himself. David wrote, he says, For I was born a sinner, yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. I was born a sinner. 
And then in 1 John 1, 8, it says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. You see, when you know what you're up against, you're better prepared for it. That's the whole reason why we need to talk about the devil, why we need to talk about evil. Now, we don't need to glorify it by any means, but the problem is most people, they're on one end or the other about the devil or about evil in general. They're on the end of the extremes, right? One extreme is everything is the devil, right? That you stub your toe and that wall was the devil. And that, that person cut you off on the freeway and that person is the devil. And right, everything is the devil. That's one extreme that we don't need to go down. But then there's another extreme that basically believes that the devil doesn't exist. That evil doesn't exist. And so we don't need to be there either. You see, again, when you know what you're up against, you're better prepared for the battle. Uh, when I was going to Logan and playing football there, and again, I apologize for all the football analogies. My goal as a pastor in year two is to have more analogies that don't center around sports, all right? But until then, please forgive me. It's who I am. It's, it's what I know. I apologize. But going to Logan, playing football there, when we had a game on Friday night, Every single day, Monday through Thursday, actually, Monday through Thursday, during lunch, we grabbed our lunch. You had 10 minutes to grab your lunch and go inside the locker room. And then you sat in the locker room Monday through Thursday for the rest of lunch, about 50 minutes. You sat there watching film on the team that you were going to play on Friday night. That's what we did during lunchtime, every single day during the season, Monday through Thursday. And then we would go out to practice, and then we would... Um, simulate that team's defense, and we would run our offense against that team's defense that we saw on film. And then we, and then we put that team's offense out there, and then we go against that team's offense versus our defense. Now, were we doing this because we were scared? No. It wasn't because we were scared of this team, but we knew that the more we were prepared uh, 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 for this team, the more we knew about this team, the more that we were aware about how this team moved and, and like their strategies, then we knew that we would be better prepared to win on Friday night. And it's the same thing with the devil. We don't have to glorify him by any means. The devil is powerful, but he's not all-powerful. All right? God is all-powerful. The God is everywhere, right? He's omnipresent. The devil is not everywhere. Okay, I hate to break someone's bubbles because you feel like the devil is attacking you. I could almost guarantee you that the devil himself is probably not attacking you. I think he has bigger fish to fry than you and me. You know, he's probably somewhere in like the Middle East right now or something. I don't know. But what I'm saying is he is not everywhere. He is not all-powerful. The God that we serve is. But when sin entered this world, this world became broken. And everyone, like David wrote, who entered this world, entered this world broken with sin. And that is why it is so important. Because sin separates us from God. You see, in John 10.10, 10, the main objective of the devil in John 10.10 10 is to steal, kill, and destroy we have to know that as we live this life, that the main objective of the devil is to steal, kill, and destroy you and everything about you. Anything he could possibly get his hands on. Whether it's relationships, marriages, finances, whatever, 
whatever possible, whatever possible, he wants to destroy so that you will not know him, so that you will not know God, I mean, and come closer to him. But praise God that we don't have to be scared of this because in 1 John 3, 8, the last part of this verse, it says the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. The devil has works. He has plans to destroy my life and your life. He does. But guess what? It said that, this, that the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Now, we know that his works, right, is to steal, kill, and destroy. But how does he do that? What is the devil's tactics for that? Well, in 1 Peter 5.8, he kind of paints a picture for us here. In 1 Peter 5, 8, and I apologize, there's no main verse today, so we're going to go through lots of verses today. So keep up, jot it down if you want to, whatever you got to do. But in 1 Peter 5, 8, it says this. He's writing this to the church now. He's saying, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Peter says that the devil prowls around like a roaring lion. So I want you to picture that right now in your mind. What does that look like, like an actual lion prowling around, you know? Maybe you need to think of the Lion King to help you out when, you know, Mufasa and Simba are, like, playing around, playing games, and Mufasa's teaching Simba to prowl, and then all of a sudden he pounces on Zazu, I, I think it is, right? He pounces on Zazu. He comes out of nowhere. Why? Because Simba was prowling around. Sazu didn't know where he was. He didn't know what was going on. And before it was too late, boom, Simba had taken him out. So this is a picture of what the enemy is doing to you and me. He's trying to be as sneaky as he can. He's trying to prowl around. And then just at the moment when you let your guard down, when we let our guard down, that's when he wants to pounce on us. That's when he wants to throw that that marriage problem, that work problem, that finance problem, whatever it is, in your face because we weren't ready for it, right? So that's what he's doing. And in this picture of the devil prowling around like a lion, um, it's in his names from Scripture as well. And today I want to talk about two names with you from the devil. Now there are two names. Now there's tons of names in Scripture, but these two are the ones I want to focus on. The first one comes from Revelation chapter 12, verse 10. Now this is, uh, as it speaks of Satan being defeated, all right, this is what it says. Revelation 12, 10, it says, And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. The first name that I want to talk about briefly with you is accuser. That's one of the main names of the devil in scripture, the accuser. You know, uh, and, and uh, one of his main job is to accuse you and me before God all day long. And when I was thinking about this, it kind of made me think about celebrities and, you know, like, I'm sure that we don't feel too bad for celebrities, right? Because sometimes, like, their problems are like, man, I, I wish I had that problem, you know. Uh, but one thing that I thought about this was with celebrities is, like, man, their life is such under a microscope that one wrong move in their life, it is exploded, right? Everyone knows about one wrong move that they make. It is all over the news, all over social media, and so that's kind of like how it is with you and me. 
This is what the devil is trying to do. He's trying to accuse us before the Father all day long. And you know the scary part about this? Is that when it comes to the devil being the accuser, the things that most likely, the things that he is accusing us of before the Father, they're probably true. They're probably true. Honestly, they probably are. You see, so how do we combat that? How do we combat if here are this thing of a courtroom and you have one lawyer presenting this case to the judge and act like, you know, you're on the other side. And as that lawyer is presenting all these facts about what you did, the crimes that you committed, and then you're just sitting there like, oh, dang, yeah, I did do that. Yeah, I said that. Ah, shoot. Yep, I thought that. I definitely did that. Man, I mean, imagine how you would feel in that moment. Imagine how you would feel. How do we overcome that? Well, the first thing that we have to do is accept that we can't. We can't. We have to just throw up the white flag and say, I surrender. There's nothing I can do to fix that. Yes, I did sin. Yes, I am a sinner. Just like David wrote, yes, I was born into sin, and this is who I am. I have done this. I have said this. I have thought this. It's true. And I can't fix it. That's the first thing that we have to come to terms with. I can't fix it. The second thing, though, is this. Believe that Jesus already did. Believe that Jesus already did. And we find that out in Romans 4.25. It says this, Romans 4.25, it says, He was handed, speaking of Jesus here, He was handed over to die. Why? Because of our sins. Right, the lamb that was slain, just like we talked about last week. He was handed over to die, not because of his sins, because he was perfect, but because of our sins. And then what happened, though, because of that, because he died for our sins, he didn't stay dead. He didn't stay dead, but three days later, and it says this, and he was raised to life. Why? So he died for our sins. He died for our sins, right? And then it says that he was raised to life to make us right with God. To make you and me right before God. What we couldn't do, what we couldn't fix, the crimes that we were guilty of, it says Jesus died and then he rose again to make you and me right before God. So you see, when you're living life, and you're out and about, you're at work, you're at home, and you're just having these feelings of, I'm not good enough. You're having these feelings of, man, that you just messed up one too many times. When you're having these feelings like you're just such a disappointment to God, you got to understand and recognize that this is the enemy accusing you of your sins. So what do we do? Remember that we are now justified because of what Jesus chose to do on the cross for you and me. We are now justified of those sins. It is, it is all forgiven. It is washed away. And now... Praise God, right, that those sins are forgiven, washed away, and now do we just use that as like this nice little pillow? As like, oh, that feels nice. Have my sins forgiven. I'm not guilty of my crimes anymore. That feels so nice. We don't use this as a nice little pillow, but guess what? We use this mercy and grace as a weapon against the enemy now. What he would use against you in all of his accusations, now this love, this mercy, this grace, this justification, now we use this as a weapon against the enemy. And that's when we see breakthrough happen. That's when we see crazy growth in our life happen. That's when we see family members who we thought would never come know the Lord come to know the Lord. 
is when we use it as a weapon against the enemy. So now when you're having those feelings of feeling like, man, just shame, guilt, all these accusations being, being uh, brought against you, now what you do is we remind the devil. And here, are our, and here are a couple of verses to remind the devil of. One is 1 John 1.9. It says this, if we confess our sins... Say, God, I did it. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I repent. If we confess our sins, guess what happens? He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we need to remind the enemy about that and remind him this in Romans 8.1, that when you are feeling condemned, when you are feeling accused, remind him and say, no. It says in Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. When you belong to Christ and you're living life, you're going to mess up. You're not going to be perfect. You're going to sin again. I'm going to sin again. It's going to happen as long as we have this flesh on us. It's going to happen. And so guess what? The first thing that happens after, you know, we've asked Jesus to come into our heart and we're like, yes, thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for, 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 uh, for uh, making me new. Thank you for just giving me new life. And then we mess up. Guess what? The shame and guilt comes right away. Right away. And that is the enemy accusing you, accusing you of your crime, saying, see, I told you that you weren't fixed. I told you that you weren't making progress. I told you that you weren't becoming a better husband. I told you that you weren't being a better parent. I told you that you weren't being a better this, better that. No, no, no. That's when we use the love, the mercy, the grace, the justification from God as a weapon. And we remind him, Romans 8.1, no, 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 devil, there is no condemnation because I belong to Christ now. So I'm not going to receive that. But to use it as a weapon. And you know why there's no longer any condemnation? You can also remind the devil this verse in 1 John chapter 2, starting at verse 1. It says this, my dear children... I am writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, so think of yourself right now, right? If any one of us do sin, this is what happens. We have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. Just picture that. You got the devil in the courtroom on one side. You got Jesus on the other side. And we're sitting in Jesus' corner now because you asked him to be the Lord and Savior of your life. You were guilty. You are fully guilty and should pay the punishment of your crime. But Jesus now, it says, that we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones our sins. What he did for us on the cross atones our sins, forgives them, washes them, takes them away. And not only our sins, but guess what? The sins of the whole world. That anyone, all people, the worst of people, the whole world, if they come to him, Jesus becomes their advocates. Man, we have an advocate that pleads our case before God. And guess what? When you belong to Jesus, the verdict is always not guilty. Not guilty. Can you just imagine that you're sitting there and you know that you're guilty. You know that you should serve the punishment for the crimes that we have committed, for the sins that we have committed. And then, and then here comes the judge, uh, 
just about to slam the hammer down, right? And then give us that verdict. And it's always going to be, you're not guilty. You are not guilty. Because I sent my son, Jesus, to die for you while you were still a sinner. And if all you do is say yes to Jesus, say yes that you want to make him the Lord and Savior of your life, it will always be not guilty. No matter what accusations the devil tries to bring up in your life for the rest of your life. No matter what he tries to bring up, you are not guilty before the Father because of Jesus. Moving on to the next name now of the devil. The next name that scripture speaks of when referring to the devil comes from John chapter 8. Looking at verse 44. And here Jesus is speaking to the religious leaders, okay. Imagine this. Jesus is speaking to the religious leaders and I love how he starts it off. He says, you are of your father the devil. Can you imagine that? Like what a way to start off a conversation. You are of your father the devil. That's who you are, all right. But this is what he is saying to the religious leaders of, the, of, of uh, that day. He says, you are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer, talking about the devil now, he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of all lies. So the name that we're talking about is liar. Devil is a liar. He is the father of lies. And it says here in scripture that we just read, he was a murderer from the beginning. That's important for you and me to know that he was a murderer from the beginning. And you might be thinking, well, how, how, was, how was the devil a murderer from the beginning? Well, this is what it's talking about. I believe that this beginning is referring to the first lie or the first deception to ever take place on earth. And so this is going to take us back to Genesis, take us back to the creation. And in Genesis chapter 3, looking at verse 1, here God has already commanded Adam and Eve to say, hey, you have dominion over all the animals, over all the, you know, trees and all that, but not from this tree though. Don't touch this tree, okay? But here comes the devil trying to mess things up as always. And looking at Genesis chapter 3 verse 1. And the devil here, he said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the tree of the trees in the garden, um, or I'm sorry, uh, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in, in uh, the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it. So he's talking about a particular tree here. Lest you die. But the serpent, verse 4 but the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Here, here is the deception and lie from the devil that leads to the first sin. That leads to you and me living in a broken world. You see, why sin equals death? Why why the devil is considered a murderer, because this is, where, this is where sin entered the world, right here, right? And in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, it tells us, for the wages of sin, the sin that you and I commit, the, the price for that penalty is death. Romans 6, 23 says, for the wages of sin is death. 
That's what you and I deserve. And when it says death, it's meaning eternal separation from the Father. Sin cannot be where the Father is. And if you and I have sin in our life, that means that we cannot be where the Father is. You see, one of the main weapons of the enemy is to plant seeds of deception, seeds of lies in your head. Right? I mean, just think about it. Just think about it. This happens to me. It happens, I'm sure, to most of us here. Right? We're going about our day and we're having a conversation with someone or maybe we're out doing something and someone says something or doesn't say something and then that ends and then we leave that place and then we let the conversations continue in our head. Right? I know I do this all the time. I'm sure we all do this, right? We continue conversations. We continue circumstances in our head that never happened. The person never said this. But we continue it in our head. And then all of a sudden, it grows to this. and grows bigger and bigger. And all of a sudden, now we hate this person. And they never even said what we're making up in our head. But guess what? The father of lies, the devil, that's what he wants to create in your mind. He knows that if he can plant a small seed of a lie in your mind, then guess what? If that small seed is just, is just not uprooted by God's truth, guess what? That seed's going to grow and grow into this big, firm tree that's considered your own truth that we just made up. And it all started because of a lie from the enemy. You know, maybe it was you didn't receive that promotion at work and because you didn't receive that promotion at work, you have calculated in your mind, it's because my boss hates me. That's why I didn't get that promotion. Or maybe, maybe, uh, maybe we didn't get that invite to a certain party, maybe a certain family party or, or just a, a certain party. And we calculate in our mind, because we didn't get that invite, that person hates me. Right? I know I am guilty of this for sure. And guess what? If we let that continue to grow without uprooting it with God's truth, man, lies, bitterness, just stress, anxiety, and all this is going to lead to sin. You see, to be tempted with lies, to be tempted with, you know, um, just being accused in your mind, that's not a sin. We all are going to deal with that until the day that we die. But when we allow that to stay in our mind, and then we just think about it more and more, and it grows bigger and bigger. And then all of a sudden, now we like truly hate this person because of a lie that we started in our own mind. Guess what? That's our sin now. That's our sin now. And it all could have been avoided if we just decided to use this as a weapon against the enemy, against his lies, against his accusations. I'm going to conclude here. If you could come on up, Jason, please. So what do we do? What do we do? I mean, this is pretty heavy stuff. And this isn't even touching, the, touching it right here. You know what I mean? I mean, I mean the, there's so much more about evil and about the devil that we could talk about and that we will talk about in the future. But, we, but all we talked about today was accusations and lies that the devil brings in our life. What do we do with this? What do we do with this? Praise God that you and I serve a God that always has a plan. He always has a plan. And what better time to remember this plan that he has for us than in the Christmas season. In Genesis chapter 3, going back to that whole uh, beginning situation where Adam and Eve, you know, gave in, to, gave in to the devil and then sinned before God. Well, this is what happened right after it. 
in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, this is what God says now to the serpent. So this is God's words to the devil. He says this in Genesis 3, 15. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. You see, this piece of scripture right here, this is considered to be the first prophecy ever made in scripture. This is considered to be the first time where there was ever prophecy made about the Messiah and about what he was going to do. You see, God said her offspring, and her offspring, he is referring to Jesus. And now what is the devil going to do to Jesus? The devil is going to bruise his heel, right? He's going to give him just a little flesh wound. And what's that going to be? That's going to be Jesus dying on the cross. When Jesus died on the cross, the devil thought that he won. He thought the game was over. He said, that's it, right? But God says, no, 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 no. You're going to bruise his heel, but guess what he's going to do to you? He is going to bruise your head. He is going to bruise your head. He is going to give you a fatal blow. You're going to give him a little scratch on the heel, but he, her offspring, Jesus, he is going to give you a fatal blow. And what is that? When he rose again on the third day. And as we just talked about, why did he rise on the third day? To be our advocate. So he can go to the Father and say, guess what? You are not guilty of those, accusa of those accusations. You are not guilty of those lies that, that, uh, that uh, we just keep holding on to. You're not guilty. You're not guilty. You see, this is what we have to celebrate for this Christmas. That Jesus bruised the head of the devil. You see, the sin that you and I have, it was meant for death. And although the devil is accusing us all day long, Scripture tells us, man, this is how you and I can live life now because of what Jesus did for us. In 1 John 4.4, 4, it says this. And this is the last verse that we're going to look at today. 1 John 4.4 4 says, little children, imagine this is just being written to you right now. Little children. You are from God, and you have overcome them. For he, speaking of the devil, for he who is in the world, I'm sorry, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. He who is in you, Jesus, is greater than he, the devil, who is in the world. And now, because of this, because Jesus is greater because Jesus is greater than anything that you're ever going to face, shame, guilt, lies, accusations, because Jesus is greater, going back to our Christmas carol now, that said, for Jesus Christ, our Savior, was born upon this day to save poor souls from Satan's power, which long time had gone astray. Guess how we get to live life now? We get to live life because Jesus is greater. We get to live life with tidings of comfort and joy. You don't have to live in shame, in guilt, 
and stress, anxiety, depression. No, 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 no. You now get to go to the devil and use this as a weapon to say, you know what? It says that greater is he that is in me than you, devil. And because greater is he that is in me, I don't have to live with anxiety. I don't have to live with depression. But I get to live with tidings of comfort and joy. Let's remember that this Christmas season. When you're feeling down, when you got something going on in your life, and, and, and I'm not trying to downplay anything that any of us are going through because they're very real. They're very real. But instead of allowing those seeds to grow and become bigger and bigger to where now they're just sin that you're dealing with in your life, whenever those accusations come, the shame, the guilt, all that stuff, whenever it comes, use the weapon to say greater is he that is in me. And because greater is he that is in me, I'm not living in those fears anymore. I'm not living in those shadows anymore. But I'm now living with comfort and joy in Jesus' name. Let's stand up as we end in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just love you. I thank you so much, Lord God, that this world can throw whatever it wants to at us. That the devil can accuse us all day long. And none of it matters because we have an advocate and your son, Jesus Christ, that all we have to do is say yes to him, to Jesus uh, entering our heart and being the Lord and Savior of our life and forgiving us of our sins. And scripture tells us that he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So right now, I just want to lift up anybody in here who's dealing with shame, dealing with guilt, dealing with just the sin that maybe has just was, was part of your past that you feel like you just can't let go of. I pray right now, Lord God, for that person that they're going to realize this Christmas season that they get to live with tidings of comfort and joy because of your son Jesus. That all we have to do is have faith and believe that he is greater. That he is greater than anything. Anything we could ever go through. Anything we have gone through. That he is greater, God. So I'm just so thankful, Lord God, that we can live this life with comfort and joy. I pray that over everybody here today, that they're going to leave this building just feeling free, feeling just, uh, just all these just great feelings of comfort and joy through your son, Jesus Christ. No longer feeling bound by shame and guilt, accusations and lies of the devil. But we realize that the devil is real, but God is all-powerful. He is all-powerful, and he is everywhere so we just love you. We praise you guys. As you bless everyone here, as we gear up for Christmas, God, just be with them, protect them, bless them, provide for them. We just thank you so much for who you are, God. And let us all leave here with tidings of comfort and joy in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, you guys. Have a great week. Again, we're praying here this Tuesday night. Feel free to join us to get out of the craziness of Christmas and uh, have a great time with the Lord. God bless you guys.